podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Salah. Escape Cancelo. Oh, it's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a goal and still a beauty. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. De Bruyne. Oh. And it is what... Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable, with your host, Tariwa Chanakira, and his guest, Riley Finch. It's game week 13, and you know what that means, it's time for another brand new episode of A Tad Predictable. I am joined by Riley Finch, young sports journalist Riley Finch. Riley, we've had the midweek mayhem. Um, There are some games that are being played at time of recording. We're recording this on Thursday evening. So there are a couple of teams, four teams to be exact, who we don't really know how their games are going to shape up by the time we get to them. But we've got an idea of the rest of the teams and looking into the weekend I've got a question for you off the bat. Well, first of all, how are you and, and all of that that good stuff. But in terms of approaching this type of week, where it's three games in one week, do you think it, there is an advantage for teams that are used to playing in Europe, that they're used to this kind of rotation and, and lots of games in one week? Uh, I mean, I think there's something to be said for how you shape up for maybe the training, for instance. You know how you how you deal with rest days, active training, that sort of thing. So I think having a club being prepared for that kind of thing, I think, does help. But you know, you look at West Ham last year, uh, and you know they have well the year that they went into Europe, they haven't been in Europe sort of before in years and years and years, uh, and they come straight into having to play you know three times in a week, and uh, for the most part they dealt with it pretty well. So I think it's it's something that clubs can adapt to enough to where I don't feel it's like a huge advantage that you get from it. Um, and I think often uh, because the majority, you know, if you think six teams are going into Europe um, and then the other 14 uh, all haven't, the majority of uh, teams you won't get an advantage against anyway. So, you know, I don't think it's a huge advantage, but it's, it's got to play some sort of part in the, at least the preparation. I think they're more well prepared, aren't they, for, you know, the schedule, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, and, and it will be interesting, as you said, especially with, uh, Europa League is towards the back end of the season it gets really really busy and maybe mm. your legs start to feel it a bit more whereas this time around these fixtures teams should still be relatively fit um, and they're coming towards a break soon with the World Cup so you can kind of take some liberties with players that you know aren't going to the World Cup for example you can probably push them a little bit more um, and speaking of pushing players, we'll start off with a team that seems to have pushed their players quite a bit in preseason, and it's led to quite a lot of injuries in Liverpool Football Club. Mm. Um, they travelled to Nottingham Forest uh, to start off the weekend, and we had our power rankings for our cornered animals, 
um, our Cornered Animals Power Ranking list a couple of weeks back with uh, executive producer Guy Drinkle. And he had Liverpool as his number one cornered animal. He, he It was the team that's in poor form that he least wants to play because he mm. thought they, you know, they, they had the capacity to turn it around and really become a dangerous team. And I guess since then, I don't think they've lost a game. Um, well, they've won two games. I don't know if it's much of a sample size, but the two games themselves are, you know, a game against Man City, which objectively many people would have probably predicted Man City to win, uh, despite Liverpool's record at Anfield. I think Paul Van Dijk's record at Anfield, should I say, he's not lost a Premier League game at Anfield yet, which is just ridiculous. Um, and then they come up against a West Ham side who was also one of those cornered animal teams, funny enough, who were starting to put together a, a decent run of form. Um, but yeah, they, so two 1-0 wins, um, both at home, which I think favours them in terms of the travel and, and the short amount of time with the turnaround in games. And then they come up against a Nottingham Forest team who... They had obviously the the nil nil draw, but I thought they were a bit lucky to to end the game with the score of nil nil last time mm. out in in, in midweek. I I genuinely thought that Brighton were peppering their goal left, right, and centre. Dean Henderson had a couple of saves in there. But how do you see this game kicking off the weekend uh, after the week that we've had? Well, to be honest, mate, I think Nottingham Forest sort of look like they're just here to make up the numbers. And I don't mean that in the sense that they've got like 61st team players. I mean, in the sense that they just, they don't look like they're going to be competing in the Premier League this season. I think if you're going to take one team that you think is a guaranteed three points at the moment, it is Nottingham Forest. And don't be wrong, it could be a tough place to go to. We saw that in the uh, FA Cup run last year, uh, you know, taking out giants such as um, Arsenal, but they just have not, impressed me at all goals for them is really really difficult to come by uh, defensively I mean they're still trying to figure out their first team and you know you look at a team like Liverpool which is very well drilled um, you know when you played uh, us yesterday uh, congrats on the win we uh, I think we were very shocked by the uh, tenacity and the the pressure that you guys put on us it's something we haven't seen from Liverpool a lot this season the characteristic sort of clock pressing side um, that's just high volume all the time pumping on their inhalers we haven't seen that at all uh, this this season, and we saw it against West Ham. I, I can only really see it going Liverpool's way. I, I think you know we should be looking at two or three goals. Got to give a shout out to James Milner. I mean, he's coming to the team at what like seventy two years of age, and he's absolutely just he's done wonders. You know, he absolutely pocketed the players in, against City last week. Game winning challenge against Suchek as well. Uh, against West Ham. He's, he's one of the, he's probably most reliable Premier League player. You know, you just, you need him, he comes on, he does a bit, he does the job, he does the business. Um, a question I'll put to you, mate, is uh, Trent's been under a lot of criticism this season. As a Liverpool fan yourself, what's, what's your kind of take on, on Trent at the moment and would you be starting him against Forrest? Um, would I be starting him? Yes, because... Mm-hmm especially in games where you're expecting to win and score a lot of goals, I think you have to start him because he's such a key factor in in that attacking side of things. In terms of his season performance, um, I I mentioned earlier in the season, I think to some of my mates, where I I think he's getting to that Ross Barkley, Delia Ali phase of their careers where they need to decide, do I take the next step? 
you know, and, you know, or like the Roonies and stuff where you've been hyped up as, you know, this revelation as a young English talent. We've seen it so many times, guys, mm-hmm. with English talents that we thought were the second coming. And then they, they've been hearing it and hearing it for years that they they just ingrain it. And to me, it looked like this season, a few of the Liverpool players were playing like they didn't believe they were going to win the league. So they didn't have that intensity that they showed um at, you know, over the last couple of seasons. And Trent's been one of those players. He's looked like he's coasted the season. He looks like a player that thinks, if I play this game at 70%, I'll be fine. We'll still win. I'll still be amazing. Whereas I don't think Klopp football facilitates that. You have to give 100% every game. It's just mm. the style of football that 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 he employs. So I think... It, I think the, the the criticism is definitely warranted. I mean, you get some of the, you know, like the super fan, uh, Liverpool fans who Liverpool players can do no wrong. You know, Klopp can do no wrong. Like, no, to me, that's nonsense. I don't think he's played well. Um, but again, in saying that, I still think he is the most talented right back England have. Um, whether or not he plays for England or goes to the World Cup, I think that's a whole nother conversation altogether. But in terms of potential, mm-hmm. I still think he's the most talented. Um, it's just now for him to decide, is he just going to coast and rely on that talent alone? Or is he going to marry that talent with hard work and, and application every single week and truly become, you know, like the generational talent that he could become? Um, so, yeah. So maybe I've been more critical about him than others. But in terms of starting him, I have no concern starting him. Um, look, you, you mentioned the James Milner performance against Phil Foden. Um, I'm convinced Milner and Firmino are gonna pre- they're gonna reveal like a last dance type documentary at the end of the season. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Yeah, they both roll back the years. But with Milner, he can do that in spells. He won't be able to do it week in week out. If we if we ask him to do that week in week out, we're gonna expose him. Mm. So. Um, you you take the game against City, which is fantastic. You take the last challenges, etc., against West Ham, where you bring him on with ten minutes to go, and the game is now kind of dropped to his speed and, and level of. That's a great way of putting it. I like that. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you watch Liverpool, majority of the time Milner comes on around 75, 80 minutes. Once the once the guys are now down to his pace and and and, mm. and speed, uh, and he can still be impactful. But yeah, so for me, Trent, I'm not worried. I think. He will buck that sort of Delhi Ali route of not fulfilling his potential. I think he will fulfill it. Um, okay. He just needs that spark of that motivation again. I think that hunger. Um, and it it didn't help that there were other people in the team that weren't applying themselves. You know, Van Dijk is one of those players as well that he looked to me like he was coasting this season. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see whether or not they. They revived that. But in terms of this game, yeah, I, I see goals. Um, mm. I think I th- I think Darwin Nunes is due a, a big game. Like, the amount of shots he takes is just insane. Um, For a player he's in the, a lot. Yeah, he's in the Samuel Eto'o school of, of learning where hit it as hard as I can on target and chances are some of them are going to go in rather than necessarily place it. And... There, there will be games where he will score three or four goals and there'll be games where he doesn't. Uh, I think that's just the nature of the beast at the moment. So I'm, I'm going a brace for Darwin Nunes and then the, the, the Salah goal. I'm going 3-0 to Liverpool. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going with the same. I think, I mean, your record so far against teams that have been promoted, I mean, you know, first day nerves, you drew to Fulham, you know, I think they're a bit excited to come back up. 9-0 against Bournemouth. Um, yeah. And I think it's going to be a similar kind of game here where I think you're just going to run away with it a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I even tempted maybe to put four, but the only thing stopping me is I do think that you're, at the moment, one thing you guys struggle to do, something we spoke about prior to recording, is you, you fail to kill games off at the moment simply because of the amount of injuries that you've got. And, you know, I think having... You know, lacking someone like Jota or Diaz, who are in such good form. I mean, you've still got Salah, still got Firmino, still got Nunes uh, and Carvalho. You know, this is his time to, you know, I think I think he might maybe crop up with a goal against um, the likes of Forrest. But I think we're definitely in agreement that uh, no matter how many Dean Henderson masterclasses we're going to see, <laughs> it's gonna they're going to be conceding. Um, you know, Cheku Kiate, absolute rock at the back. But, I, you know, I don't think he's going to contain Darwin Nunes. Interesting thing about Forest is they've got about 9,000 different combinations of teams they can throw out and, you know, they might find the winning combination at some point and surprise us, but I, I don't think it's going to be this game. I just, it's got to be Liverpool dominance for me. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair to say. Um, let's move on to our next game because it's Everton versus Crystal Palace. Now, Everton had Very that 1-0, 1-0 loss to Newcastle. Another team where I thought... Maybe like you were just the one nil. Um, I I think Newcastle created quite a fair few chances. Um, but then Lampard would turn around and say there are chances too. Should Gordon have had a penalty? You know that there there were arguments from Everton, and in another day maybe they do get the rub of the green there. But mm. you know they they're at Goodison Park. They have to defend their home. They're coming up against a Palace side who so much of this season has been you know Palace are playing well, but they're not getting results. Um, you know, and then on on in in the midweek they end up getting that result coming from a goal down to Wolves. Um, I think the three of Eze, Olisi, and Zaha is just such a dangerous trio, and is is going to be quite exciting to watch. And I I assume at Goodison Park, Everton won't sit back in a game like this. They're going to want to impose themselves a bit, and the fans will certainly encourage them to impose themselves and. That trio on the counter-attack just seems like a recipe for disaster. I don't want to see Connor Cody chasing Zaha from the halfway line uh, towards his own goal. I, I think that could be quite terrifying. Um, what, what are your thoughts and, and score predictions for this one? Yeah, I mean, Palace are an interesting side. I think they've got a lot of potential, but they only seem to really react when they, they go 1-0 down. They don't seem like the type of team that's going to go on, from, on the front foot from the get-go and, and get that goal and then push on from there. They always seem like they need that uh, that little wake up call, um, you know. And I watched the Wolves game, and Wolves aren't exactly uh, in great form at the moment. They aren't exactly an exciting team. And I think Wolves game is quite a good game, quite a cagey game. Um, I totally agree with you. I think Abira Eze is one of the most underrated talents in the Premier League, um, and Wilfred Zaha has been one of the most underrated talents of his generation. To be honest, the stuff that he's done uh, at Crystal Palace, at that sort of team, consistently getting that amount of goals a season, does go under the radar quite a lot. Very shocked a big six team has not come in through at some point. I know Arsenal have been interested at times, but how that hasn't actually come to fruition is, is really surprising to me. Um, I think mean, he's got like what the fourth most goals in 2022, uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, he's an absolutely electric form at the moment. And Vieira's got him playing like a team, which is good. Uh, Everton, I'm, not, I'm still not convinced on Lampard. I'm not sure he really knows what football he wants to play. At one point, he was playing a three back. Uh, and now he's sort of transitioned to more of like a 4-3-3. Three, three. 
Um, but I, I think one thing that Everton will have this this game is they will dominate the midfield. Awobi and Onana, I think, will definitely dominate the midfield. Uh, and, and Palace don't tend to use their width too much. They tend to use outlets such as Eze and then sort of Elise to cut inside and, and go through the sort of central field. And I think having Onana and Owobi in that midfield is going to make it quite difficult for them. But, you know, the, the, the one thing with Everton, and we, we have spoken about a lot this season, is, is you just you do worry where the goals are going to come from. You know, we've just given three really exciting attacking talents in Elise, Zaha and Eze. Uh, and you wonder from their opponent's point of view, have they got those sorts of talents? Yes, Anthony Gordon, I think he's very good, but you know, he, I think he needs a, a number nine to play off of. You know, I, and you look at Neil Mope, he he will crop up with a goal every now and then. But you know, you've got three players, you know, Anthony Gordon, uh, Gray, and Mope, who are all very similar players. Is the problem, um, and they're all going to play the one. You know, if, if the one style of football is not working, it's not like you can chuck a cross into the box and hope for a header because you know they're not the type of players to do that they need space in behind they need to be able to cut in um in terms of the actual prediction for the game i'm not sure like i said i think everton will dominate the midfield and that in turn you know in a goodison park atmosphere it will make them push on and make them want to go forward but i feel like this is the type of game that's going to end in a draw i think i think this is the type of game where you're going to have very few chances uh, i think palace you know, I think Everton will get the first goal and then Palace will come back and they'll nick a goal back and it'll be 1-1. That's, uh, that's my prediction for the game, I believe. Interesting stuff. Yeah, and, and that makes sense, uh, especially at Goodison Park. Um, they do tend to make it quite tough for teams. For me, I think Palace are going to sneak this 1-0. Um, I, I think they're going to get that counter-attack goal. Mm. I'm not convinced with Everton going forward at the moment and when they are, they seem like they know what the game plan is in terms of give the other team the ball and we'll try to get them on the counter. But when they get to that situation where they're the, they're going to be the dominant team, I think they might get lost a little bit in this game. Um, yeah. But I suppose for them, it's, it, it will be one game more of Calvert Lewin getting fitter. And if, if you can bag a goal in this one, that would be great. But He's the one that I think really needs to start get going if if they're to make a a leap up the field um up the league anytime soon. But a team that um sort of made a huge leap up the league if you look at last season's table in Brighton and and you look mm-hmm. at the start they've had this season, it stuttered a little bit. Um, I mean, you know, any club would be rocked by a manager leaving the way you know that Potter left, where it's amicable like there weren't any hard feelings. It's just, there was someone better. You know what I mean? Like, it's just really unfortunate for them. It's not you, it's me type of situation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And, does Abies come in, does Abies come in, and his tactics, you know, he he has employed a lot of what Potter was doing, and I think that's intentional. He doesn't want to change too much, too quickly, and slowly he'll start to imprint his, um, his sort of system and, and, and his footprint on, on the team. But I think, as I mentioned with Nottingham Forest, I, I think they were unlucky not to get a win last time mm. out. I, I thought they peppered the goal. And then, if I'm not mistaken, they played um, Brentford um, recently where Brentford won 2-0 in that game. Raya had one of the, the, the goalkeeping performances of the season. So mm. in that game, they were unlucky to lose... Um, at least losing 2-0, but just to lose in general, considering 
the amount of chances they created. But they're creating chances, um, maybe not necessarily getting it in the back of the net at the moment, which has been a problem for Brighton for a couple of years now. They've just never had that number nine. Um, well, you're coming up against a City side that is rested, um, which I guess is going to be quite weird for City. They're usually the team that's playing so many games that the other team is rested. But City have had a week off. They didn't have the game with Arsenal this week. And they've had a week to just stew that Liverpool loss. And I kind of feel very scared for Brighton in this one. I know Brighton are really tidy with the ball. And I'm looking Mm. forward to a really interesting battle in midfield. I think Brighton are one of the few teams that could handle themselves in a midfield bat with City, um, you know, if push comes to shove. But... I'm just I'm when it's close like that in terms of midfield battles, I'm gonna back the talent on in in either box. <laughs> and when you got the likes of Haaland and Foden and and De Bruyne playing the way they're playing, and then Cancelo at the back, etc. Um, I can only see this game going one way. I can see I'm gonna say two 0 City because I do think that a lot of the game is gonna be played in midfield, and and maybe there won't be as many chances as both teams will be hoping for, but I just can't give Brighton a goal in this one because I'd rather be late on on the Brighton striker hype train than than try and guess and be a a week early on them because I just can't. If Trossard's not doing something, it's going to be hard for them to score goals. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I honestly wonder what this new manager has changed or or it seems like he's dusted off the Potter folder and just sort of said, (laughs) that's just just keep doing what you're doing. They're like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we keep making chances. We keep missing. Yeah, do that too. Do that too. That's what <laughs> Potter did. We'll just do that too. So one thing they really lack, and it's been the story of Brighton for quite a few seasons, is they create a lot of chances. They just they just can't. Their conversion is really, really poor. Um, they have quite a good XG as well, but they just they just can't seem to finish their dinner. And one thing you can't do against a City side is not be clinical because yeah. you're just not going to get as much time on the ball as you think. You're not going to get that shot on and obviously you've got a world-class shot stopper in Edison and two you know back four that's you know amazing as well so for me I can't see a bright goal in there and I think Pep will demand so much from his players from that loss to Liverpool I think that really shocked him you know obviously he knew it was a possibility that he was going to lose but seven points behind Arsenal now you know with them playing Southampton they're likely to win again um not not that I want to spoil any more of the episode but um <laughs> You know, I think Pep's going to demand so much of his players. And, you know, Erling Haaland has, has blanked in a game week again. So he's going to need to score four or five to make up for that. Um, and yeah, I can only see a City win. But, you know, Brighton are a very well-drilled side. They're not going to get overloaded the same way other teams do. Um, you know, like I say, the midfield battle will be interesting. Uh, the way they use a sort of, sort of like a three-five-two almost. Something that uh, Tottenham tried to replicate yesterday and miserably failed to do. Um I like, you know, and, and Pablo Gross can always knock up with a sort of late arrival to the box, which is quite interesting. So I think, yeah, the, the midfield battle will be very interesting, but they're not going to get overloaded um, on the wings by, you know, Cancelo, because, you know, City play this really weird sort of formation where the fullbacks are so pushed up high. I don't think they're going to get caught out in that sense, but, you know, City have just got too much quality. They're, they're just going to get overrun in the end. Uh, and, and similar to you, Matt, I'm also going to know. I don't, I don't think they're going to get absolutely whitewashed. But you know, being well drilled can only get you so far against a city side. Unfortunately, be as organised as you want, but 
Um, when you're having to deal with the likes of Haaland and De Bruyne and Cancelo, it's you know it's only a matter of time, really, isn't it? Yeah, and and we speak about you know we've gone from his first love to his current love, uh, Graham Potter. The next team up on our run sheet here is Chelsea mm. Football Club. Now Chelsea had that nil nil draw against Brentford, and Brentford have been dubbed the um, the gatekeepers on this podcast because. I think a couple of seasons ago, a couple, year, years ago, maybe a little bit more than a couple of seasons ago, Everton used to be that gatekeeper team where I think a team could, a team that didn't beat Everton didn't win the league or something. There was some weird stat with that. But Brentford seemed to be a good barometer for teams to sort of gauge where they are at the moment. And we've seen with Chelsea a few performances where Yes, they've gotten the win. I think it was like four wins in a row for them. But mm. I've, I've not been too impressed with them. They, they were getting the win. They were sort of pulling an Arsenal from beginning of the season where Arsenal at times weren't great, but were still just getting the result. And, you know, they come up against uh, Brentford and they go they, they get a bit un, uh, unstuck in that one. They had some chances. I think Brentford had chances too in that one. Uh, Kepa had another one of his great performances. He's playing well at the moment. Uh, so he kept them in the game. He certainly gave them a chance to go and win this game. They just couldn't quite do it. Um, so I'll be interested to see how they fare against a United side who, uh, as we mentioned um, in the preview to these midweek games, I thought United United and, and Spurs do, both don't like the ball and they're happy for the other teams to have it and, and they can counter but United being the home team, they needed to have the ball. They had to be the aggressor and it worked out for them. I think they sort of revert back to default in this game. They allow Chelsea the ball and I think Chelsea will be happy to have the ball in this game. And United will look to break on the counter-attack with the pace of the likes of um, Rashford up front. I, I don't think Ronaldo is going to start in their next game either. Um, so yeah, he, you know, question whether he'll even make it to the bench. He might just not pitch up at all at this point in time. Um, but yeah, it, it should be an interesting game. Two back-to-back really important games for Man United. They get the win in the first one, which I think usually then takes the pressure off of the second one. You've kind of got a free hit there. But how do you see this game panning out? Well, you know, you know what? it looked really impressive yesterday, but I think that was more to do with how Spurs set up than the actual quality of United at the moment. You know, playing a 3-5-2... Uh, against United, there wasn't the devastating Spurs counter-attack you normally see. Uh, they didn't overload the wings at all, which is what they like to do. Mainly because, obviously, you know, got some injuries in there. The Son and Kane combination up front just didn't work at all. It just allowed Man United free roam of the pitch. And, and despite having three midfielders and three defensive midfielders, they completely dominated in the middle of the park as well. Fred, you know, he's, he's suddenly found his Brazilian gene and he's he's, <laughs> he's starting to look a little bit like a Brazilian talent, you know, I thought he was really impressive yesterday. Uh, man of the match for me. Um, and Chelsea, you know, I think, I think they're, now that they've got Aubameyang up front, you do feel like they've got that ability to nick a goal. You know, if he gets a half chance, you do feel like he could probably put one away. Um, whether they actually go for Aubameyang or Brozier would be quite interesting. Uh, whether they maybe play two up top. Having Reese James injured is really bad for them as well. I believe he will still be injured by the time uh, the weekend rolls around. And, uh, yeah. you know, Potter's, I don't know, he's not, it's not a carbon copy of his Brighton team. I think he knew he couldn't do that. You know, Chelsea are a team you expect to score goals. You expect them to be on the front foot all the time. That's not, that's not what Brighton was all about. Um, 
So it's interesting to see how his approach is going to have to change. And one thing that you know Liverpool and Chelsea have in common is they don't tend to kill off games. You know, you look at the Liverpool, uh, the uh, Villa game, and it has to be said, you know, Villa created a lot of chances and probably should have scored a lot more than they did. I think you know Brentford had quite a few chances as well against Chelsea, uh, and Kepper, who you know has just had this really weird redemption arc, has just come straight into the team and started performing week in week out. Um, so it's an interesting game. I'm not sure really how it's going to go. I think it's got a draw written all over it. To be honest with you, um, I think I don't think there'll be a lot of goals in it. Chelsea and Man United don't typically have these sort of end-to-end battles. I think it, there'll be a lot of sort of tackles done in midfield. I don't, I don't think there'll be a lot of action in either sort of final third. Um, and it's always interesting when you see two teams set up on the counter because, you know, you, you know what the other team's trying to do because you're trying to replicate it. So <laughs> uh, you, you just imagine that, you know, they'll get the ball and then they'll drop off. And then as soon as United get the ball, you know, Chelsea will drop off and it's just going to be trying to camp in each other's halves at the end of the day. So I'm going with a 1-1 draw in that one. And uh be interested to see the Ronaldo story. Very surprised if he does that. I think as a manager, you'll probably have to just to show, you know, your strength. You'd probably have to just leave him out of the squad completely just to make an example of him. Um But, you know, how he doesn't start for United is quite surprising. And this is the kind of game where he would actually be really good because if you are having to camp in the opponent's box and you're you know, swing a ball in, you've always got a chance with it on the ball. Uh, but yeah, it'd be an interesting game, that one. Yeah, definitely. And Ronaldo is one of those people that was involved in, um, at the beginning of the podcast, um, at the beginning of the season, uh, myself and Guy had a podcast where we gave our reckless predictions of the season. And I said, uh, in United's first 16 games, that Ronaldo was going to play less than eight or eight or less games. Mm. Um, so he's hovering around there. Um, or start, should I say? He was going to start in less than eight games. And one, two, th- I think he's only started three so far. So wow. I've got five games, Grace, so to speak, to play with there. And, I, and I'm pretty confident that I'm going to be able to get that uh, prediction right. No need to um, cash out on that one, I reckon. I reckon <laughs> that one's probably in the bag. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just leave that one in the bank for now. Um, but yeah, it, it, as you mentioned, it should be a low-scoring game. Um potentially a low-scoring draw. I think United take that defensive confidence heading into this game. Mm. Again, I think it's it's match styles in terms of... They're playing two teams that, for Spurs, I think I do think it was the injuries. Not having either of Kulishevsky or Richarlison really hurt them in that game. Um, and, and they were forced to go to the two. I they think could have played Lucas Moura, though, to be fair. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why that's what he adopted to go for in the end. I was very surprised by the uh, the team sheet. And it's not even like he really played a 10, at least. Uh, yeah. You know, Benesser, Hoiberg and Basuma. I mean, they're all defensive midfielders, so... Yeah, he, he said Benesser certainly seemed the most advanced of mm. them, which was quite interesting to see. But yeah, um, I think Man United go into this game with the confidence of keeping clean sheet. I think they sneak a, a 1-0 away win in this one. And they continue the good times rolling. Um, I, I'm hesitant to say that because I know the form that Kepa's in, mm. um, and I, I don't want to be backing, you know, Kepa conceding goals at the moment. But I do think Man United do sneak this one away from home. They seem to have some sort of unity and bond within the squad. Ronaldo aside, obviously, but there, there seems to be something that's that's cooking at the moment. Then Chelsea haven't quite got it right for me yet. 
Um, I'm sure it will come, but yeah. So for me, it, I'm going to go with the 1-0 Man United, you know, sneaky win away from home in a big game. And that will be a fantastic week for Man United if, if they can end the week off like that. Um, let's move on to another team that's sort of hoping to, to end the week a little bit better. I mean, Aston Villa play um, at time of recording. So we, we don't know yet how their game against Fulham, you know, goes probably by the time you guys listen to this podcast, you will know what the result and the performance was like in, in that game. But they come off of a lot of pressure on Gerard, um, uh, a spirited performance, which against Chelsea, which was surprising for me because usually it, it can go either way. Either when the manager's under the pressure, Gerard's on the players just down tools and they don't play. Mm. But it seemed like they were fighting for Gerard at least in that Chelsea game. And whether or not they do the same again in in the midweek game will be, I guess, promising for Gerard. But looking at these two fixtures, a game against Fulham and then a game against Brentford, are these must-win games for Gerard? Because usually you'd probably be happy with the, uh, a, a win against Fulham and then a draw against Brentford, I think, would be fantastic before the season started. But at the moment, with the pressure he's under, it almost feels like he has to win both games. I mean, I, I, honestly, it's hard to predict, uh, you know, the Brentford game because I'm not even sure Gerald will be the manager come the time yeah. of the Brentford game. Yeah. To be honest with you, I, I think tonight is is the must-win game. If he doesn't win tonight, which I actually don't think he will, um, I don't think he'll be the manager. Um whether they get someone like Pochin, which is, is a rumour, uh, would be incredible for them. But Aston Villa are a very hot and cold team. They're, they're almost like the definition of a dark horse. Everyone seems to think that they're going to be breaking into Europe anytime soon. And, and they, they always seem to buy very well in the market as well. But then they often find themselves at the other end of the table, and whether that's because of the manager they get in or, you know, I think Coutinho has, has gone missing a lot this season and that's been really poor for them. Uh, Danny Ings and Watkins haven't been the same sort of selves you've seen and when you're making the kind of mistakes that you know Tyro Mings is making you could just tell you could tell they're the team in a bit of a rut at the moment I don't know if you've actually seen his face after he did that but the amount of memes they've actually, people have actually got his face and just put him in like loads of different <laughs> random scenarios because his face was just priceless but it just seemed like they're a team that's I don't want to use the word unlucky because I feel like that downplays it too much, but they're, they're just in a bit of a rut at the moment. They do need that victory. I think Gerard's on a huge pressure, like you say. Um, I'm not. I don't think it'll be the manager. I think they're going to lose tonight. I don't think it'll be the manager, um, which honestly might, you know, propel them into actually getting a bit fired up for that game as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I honestly think if, if it's not must win tonight, it's absolutely must win against Brentford. Yeah, and and as you said, this is a hard game to predict. Um, it, you just don't know. I I'll, I'll, I'll cheat a little bit here. I'll say if Gerard is still manager, mm. I'm gonna back the better coach team in Brentford, and I'm gonna go with a two-one Brentford win. If Gerard is still manager, or if Gerard's not manager, I'm expecting a reaction uh, from the players and a sort of back-to-basics type tactic in that game where they rely on, you know, not giving them too much tactical instruction, just keeping it simple, let the players mm. go out and play with a bit of freedom. And then I'm going to predict a 2-2 um, draw in that one. Are, are you going to cheat like me and give two score predictions based on certain outcomes? 
well, it seems like I ought to, really. But, um, <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with you, though. I think when a caretaker manager comes in, and we've seen it from um, O'Neill at Bournemouth, um, you know, we, we've seen it all over the place. You know, when Everton lost their manager and Ferguson was brought in, instant reaction. You know, and when West Brom uh, lost their manager, and um, oh, I can't remember his name now, but uh, he was the manager at the time trying to keep them up, doing Mission Impossible, and had a really good end to the season. Um, I think caretaker, and same with United as well, with uh, Solskjaer. When caretaker managers come in, you do seem to get this reaction. And I actually think, you know, if they do end up get sacking Gerrard tonight, I think you'll see a bit more reaction than you. I actually think they'll win 1-0 against Brentford uh, if that happens. I think, you know, going back to basics as well, I just think they will nick that goal. If we're talking about Gerrard being in charge, I think it's going to be 2-0 Brentford. Um, I think they are at a, a sort of stage now where they do seem a bit dejected. Nothing's really going right for them. And, you know, unfortunately for Gerrard, there's not really a lot he can do differently. He can set up the team slightly differently. He can try and change the tactics. But, you know, you, you're not going to have a big overhaul of... You, you either have to go 4-3-3 three, three, or you go 4-2-2. and two and two. There's not a huge plethora of options for him to actually go with at the moment. And, you know, Villa have been wasteful as well. They they do create chances. They've been wasteful. And, you know, when people like Tyron Mings are making the kind of mistakes they're making, that's nothing to do with the manager. You know, that, that's just they're either in a rut or they're just not playing the way they need to. Um, so, yeah, I, I and, 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 you know, Brentford have been so impressive this season. Ivan Tony definitely deserves an England call up um, and he's been astounding. So it'd be very interesting to see how that game pans out. Um, like you said, Brentford, a bit like Potters, Brighton, very well drilled. They know what they're about. David Rea, very good defence. Um, and they always seem like with Mbermo and, and Tony, they're going to crop up with some goals. But that's def- definitely a, a one to watch for me, uh, especially if Gerard goes. Yeah, definitely an interesting one to watch. And, and I'm sure we'll know what would have happened you know, in the games this evening. But um, let's mm. head to a quick break and then we'll be back with the Predictable Power 5, which is uh, the top five ranking of the top five players in the league at the moment. And we are back. Um, I'm really excited for this one because I, I think we're at a very interesting time in the season at the moment where there are a lot of players in the Premier League that would have made my power rankings top five here, but they've tailored off a little bit or they've gone a bit, mm. you know, they've not had that level of performance in recent fixtures that they had to start off the season. So I'm I'm expecting a little bit of pushback um, from you and and from listeners with regards to my power rankings uh, for players. Um, let me set the the parameters here. Let me set the table. So this is a top five power ranking of the best five players at the moment in the Premier League. It's adjusted for amongst other things like strength uh, strength of schedule that they're faced and the opponents that they're faced. Um, the individual impact that they've had on their teams, as well as just overall sauciness. Like, how spicy does this player look? How, how how interesting do they look? Do they excite me? Do they get me off of my chair? Um, so I know it's going to be contentious because there have been a, a whole host of really, really exciting players. And I can only pick five. Now, mm. Riley, I'm very bullish with my power rankings. Um, I've nailed every single one. I'm pretty confident that I've okay. nailed every single power rankings I've ever done. Um, so this one, I felt quite a lot of pressure because um, 
this is one of the first ones where I sat down and really had to think about it. And I'll I'll reveal my top five and then I'll get your reaction. And then I, I do think we might have to go into some honorary mention um, sort of discussion because there there oh, are that's, a lot of players. That's, that's cheating, Tad. I mean, we can't go into, <laughs> as soon as you go into that sort of territory, you lose all credibility with your power rankings. Fair, fair. Okay, let, let, let's start off with a player that makes it at number five, mm-hmm. and this is probably where it starts quite contentious. But number five on my list is Harry Kane. Now, <laughs> I see your reaction, but you, you say you nailed every single one. Yeah, I nailed every single one, but. Okay. Let me ask you. Let me ask you this: How many goals do you think Harry Kane has this season so far? Eight goals. Nine. Nine goals. Nine goals. Okay. Take Holland out of the, the the league for a second because he's okay. a cyborg. We all know he's a cyborg. Nine goals in your first twelve games is really impressive in the Premier League, and I think Kane is low key having a very efficient season it just so happens that he's now in the league with holland and he's 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 just not going to be in the limelight anymore um his hold-up play has been crucial for conte ball and the thing for me is as as i've dubbed conte ball now it's logical and efficient and it's not going to be it's not going to be exciting but it's logical and it's efficient and kane makes this list because he's been logical and efficient he might not get all the headlines that other people are getting at the moment but what he is doing is getting goals and Spurs need goals. If you're going to play the way Conte plays, you have to get the ball in the back of the net. And Son hasn't quite done it to the level we were expecting this season. So someone else had to step up a little bit. And and Kane, I think, has, has been playing quite well. Um, I think he's low-key having a good season. He makes it into my list. He's number five. And, and I can see you're already itching to comment. But let, let me run through the list first. Get a feel for it. That's let fine. It, you know, swirl a little bit and, and, and then... Give me what you got afterwards. You drop, a, you drop a bombshell like Harry Kane on me, mate. I mean, it's just a little too much to handle. Uh, it's a great start. It's a great start. Let, let's get more spicy because number four on my list is a player who is probably part of the Firmino James Milner last dance um, autobiography thing that they're do- docu-series that they're going to be doing. They're going around to different teams around the league, mm. basically. It's Milner and it's Firmino and they're going around to different teams and picking out players that are doing their sort of revival last dance. You thought you wrote me off, but I'm coming back with the bang. And it's Kepa. How many times does a goalkeeper make a top five list? Not often, but Kepa was written off. The guy, for me, I thought he should have gone to Newcastle. Uh, I think that would have been a great move for him. Um, We saw in his previous performances before he sort of lost his position, um, he wasn't playing too well. But Chelsea are not conceding a lot of goals at the moment, and I think that has to do with Kepa. And if you look at the time since he's come into the um, back into their team, all of a sudden they look quite solid defensively. I think he obviously helps them with the distribution a little bit more than Mendy does. He's a, a lot better with his feet, but just his positioning and his reactions at the moment are keeping Chelsea in games. And we know how important that is in the Premier League, that... When your offense isn't playing well, you need your keeper to keep you in the game long enough for them to go and figure it out. And I think his impact on Chelsea's, you know, prior to um, prior to their previous game, like they had the four wins in, on the trot. I think it's because Kepa is 
keeping them in games long enough for them to go figure out how to go win them. And that level of impact, I think, deserves to be in the top five. Um, so he he's in there for individual impact as well as just, I like adding a goalkeeper in there. I don't think I've ever had a goalkeeper in there. And he's given me a reason to add him in three clean sheets in a row uh, for him at the moment. I think he's hot. Um, definitely someone, I guess, for fantasy players that they might be thinking about bringing in. But let's move on to number three, because I, I can see that one's given you plenty of food for thought. You, you you were sort of thinking about that one. Number three, I don't think you can think about too much. I think this is um, in the camp of the logical and efficient um, Conte ball. It's a Conte ball pick. It's Phil Foden. Um, he's got six goals, four assists so far this season. He's been one of the key players in City's team and he's kept that momentum going. Obviously, we know old James Milner uh, came out of retirement to pocket him in that game against Liverpool. But I don't think that should impact the level of impact he's had in a team full of stars at City. If you look at the depth of City, for a young player to break through seems almost impossible, but he's holding his own this season. And I've got him getting 10 goals, 10 assists this season. I'm pretty, I'm feeling pretty confident that he's going to do that this season, get the double-double. And as I said, he's kept his momentum going all season. Um, now, it's interesting that he's on this list because I'm, I'm going to say it right now. It means De Bruyne hasn't made my top five list. Now, oh, God, now, to me? now, De Bruyne, oh. De Bruyne had been on my list for so many weeks. And then he's kind of just lost that little bit of sizzle at the moment, which is very heartbreaking for me because De Bruyne is my favorite player in the league. So to see him lose that bit of sizzle, maybe maybe because he's my favorite player in the league, I judge him a bit harsher than other people. But I don't think he's been quite at it in recent games. You know, you look at the likes of Saliba and stuff that started the season hot and they, they've kind of started getting back towards the the, 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 the group a little bit. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. So I'll get that De Bruyne one out of the way now before you start thinking he's, he's he didn't make the list. He just didn't make it. Number two on my list is a player that defines a metronome. He is the reason that their team. He just glues the team together, and I think he's been one of the most impactful signings in the Premier League for a really long time because this team now has an open checkbook, so to speak, or allegedly an open checkbook. I don't want to be put in the club camp here, um, but <laughs> alleged open checkbook. And he's a signing that I think they made. Every other team in the league could have used him and he probably starts for every other team in the league. It's I Bruno Gomeresh. It yeah, it's Bruno. It Bruno like, he, he just seems like he's playing a game. We know, You know how we talk about Milner, the game slows down to him. Yep. It seems like Bruno Gamares, the game like the game speeds up. He, he's too fast for how the game's being played. And it seems like everyone else is running in slow motion. He knits that Newcastle team together so well. Whether he's a defensive midfielder, he's being asked to be a box-to-box, he's being an advanced forward. This season, he's been sensational to me. And yeah, he, he makes it number two on my list. Um, I think that's only because the cyborg is in the Premier League now, Erling Haaland. You can't deny him top spot at the moment. He may have blanked against Liverpool, but I think that's to do with um, he's mentioned Van Dijk's been his toughest opponent before in the past. And I think psychologically, maybe there's still something there. He wasn't quite doing 
the things that he's done in previous games against Liverpool in that game. But despite blanking, oh my God, he's had a one game goal drought, you know, mm. you know, pull the fire alarms, it's all over. Um, I think he's the best player in the Premier League at the moment. He tops my power five, um, my predictable power five power rankings. But yeah, I'll, I'll get that list again. Harry Kane in fifth place. Kepa as, as, Br- oh no, Kepa. I had his name written out as just his first name because I knew I was going to flub the lines, but now I'm determined. Aretha Balaga, Kepa Aretha Balaga in fourth place, Phil Foden in third, Bruno Gimmaraes in second, and Erling Haaland in first place. And I'll take my flowers now. If you want to clap, if you want to cheer, um, by all means do that because I'm mm. having that's a great list. Uh, well, you got one right, which is which is always good. One, one. Well, well, you got one. Listen, Bruno Gimmaresh is in the top five. There's no no debate about that. Um, Phil Foden for me probably just about misses out. For De Bruyne for me, um, I think Kepa is a classic case of recency bias. He's not really played much of the season. I think he's had about three or four games. How are you going to put him in ahead Mate, of De Bruyne? Are you going to short him that fourth game that he played? You're just going to yeah, shorten that three, fourth game? Three or four games, mate. Three, wow. we're, we're into a 13-game season. If you're going to justify to me that Harry Kane should be on the list because he scored nine goals across the whole season and then tell me that Kepa's on the list for four games of not even had a clean sheet. Four think, fantastic what, games. Does that, does, that, does that get you on the, the glory of a tad power five ranking? I'm not sure it does to mate, most of you. The guy's made 12 saves in two games. How many... Like, uh, look, Dean Henderson's been better consistently. He, he's made oh, so many saves in a very poor Don't bring that weak sauce here. Not, not Dean saw. Henderson. You could have picked 19 other goalkeepers I picked Dean Henderson. If I'm personally going for power rankings, I think the Xhaka needs to be in there, to be honest. He's on, the, Jack, on, he's on the short list. He didn't quite I make think, it. I think you've got honourable mentions in there for Miggy Almiron, you know, and Saliba yeah, or whatever. But I think if you're looking at that Arsenal side and what they're doing at the moment... Jacker has, I mean, his redemption arc is crazy, but you can tell that he's leading that team. And and yes, he's still got that red card in him that probably will bite him in, in the arse at some point. But he's been so crucial for them in that eight role. Like like you say, with Bruno, I feel like he is the thing that knits that whole Arsenal team together. Um, Jesus probably a shout as well. But for, yeah, if I was you, I'd be going for Haaland first. I'd be going to Bruyne second. How he's not on that list is crazy to me. He's been one of the best players in the Premier League for quite some time. Yeah. Um, I'd probably go Bruno third after that. Then I'd probably go Xhaka fourth. And then the fifth spot is a... Uh, I don't know. Fifth spot's an interesting one. That's kind of up the grab for a lot of people. Almiron, Cancelo, Saliba. Um, maybe maybe Pascal Gross gets a bit of a, a nod there as well. I think he's been really good for Brighton uh, this season. But Trossard, does he go in there? For you? Yeah, I mean Trossard's another one where you know, he could potentially be in the mix for it. But I think there's been across the thirteen season, uh, thirteen game season, there's been more people, they've been more consistent. Um, you know, like because if if we're going off the last like five games, I'll be choosing someone like Philip Billion because I think he's been incredible for Bournemouth and and to perform in that kind of side. I mean, I'm almost tempted to go for someone as well like Paulinho. Uh, or, oh. or Pereira or Fulham because I think they've That's been incredible. That's a hipster's pick if I've ever heard one. Yeah, a good I mean, one. A good one. Look, I mean, if you want I me like to put that. Harry Kane in fifth, I, I guess I'll put Harry Kane in fifth. <laughs> is that, that going to make you happy? That'll, no, I'll look, you've, you've got you've fifth. got Haaland, you've got KDB, you've got Bruno, you've got Xhaka. Mm. Um, 
who are you going with that fifth one? Who are you throwing it's very in up there? for grabs. Who are you throwing uh, in there? It's boring, but I think it's Cancelo, to be honest with you. It's very boring. Fair. And, and it's between probably Foden, Cancelo and Saliba, I'd say. Uh, but like, you know, Saliba has dropped off a little bit recently. I think Arsenal's defense is very shaky. Um, I think Foden's just kind of jumping in on the goals wagon. That makes it. I don't, I don't feel like he's the orchestrator. You know, I feel like he's just, you know, Haaland scoring. Phil happens to be scoring as well. Don't mark it. I think he's a terrific player. But um, yeah, Cancelo has been different levels this season. They've given him the number seven shirt and he, he looks like an outfield forward player that is just creating and devastating every single week. And obviously, he still does a job defensively. Um, but yeah, Kep, Kep is the worst one of the lot, mate. To be oh, you, you got to throw a spicy one in there. You got to throw games. love for the. You got to throw love for the goalkeepers he's, he's club. He's not even they played the no third love. of the season. They get Four no games. love. Four this games. is this is why keepers will never win the Ballon d'Or, for, because of people like Riley. A keeper will never win the Ballon d'Or. A keeper will play a sixty-game season and potentially win a Ballon d'Or. They don't play twelve games and then you go, well, you probably get Ballon d'Or to be honest. If, so. if those are twelve finals, I mean, there's an argument there. Um, but anyway, let, let's move on. Let's move on um, to the rest of the fixtures because I, I think we could debate this all night. But uh, you, your list is pretty spicy too. Um, it looks good. Looks good on paper, but uh, I it doesn't quite compare to yours, does it? I, I think mine's slightly better. But a team that's hoping to be slightly better than their opponents um, is our next team. It's Leeds versus Fulham. Now, Leeds are a team that have been sort of plummeting down the table of late. Um, if you look at their form, it's not looking good. No one in their last five games. Obviously, they play, you know, and I, I have to keep saying it because I think it does um, impact how we rate, you know, the, or predict their score lines. But Leeds and Fulham still have to play, before, you know, before we record we record this before they've they've played their games, but. Is this a game at home for Leeds where they kind of have to win to stop the rot? Um, coming up against a Fulham side who started like a house on fire and, and have started started crawling back towards the pack. I think I think Leeds have been unfortunate in some games. Um, I thought against Arsenal, for example, they had a shot to get something from that game. Um, if you just look at the score sheet at the end of the game, you probably think it's a comfortable game for Arsenal. But mm. if you watch the game, it really wasn't. And I think at home, I think Leeds stopped the rot in this one. If if they haven't stopped the rot um, in their game against Leicester, I think that's two really good games for Leeds. Leicester away and then Fulham at home, two games where they can kind of get, if they can get four points from th- those games, I, I think that would be solid. So no, I'm, I'm saying in an away draw to Leicester, um, I'm speaking that into existence and then they go and win this game. I'm going to go with 2-1 to Leeds in the Leeds versus Fulham game. Yeah, I mean, Leeds are an unpredictable side. I think Jesse Marsh has done a very good job. They've had to deal with a lot, losing Rafinha, losing Phillips. They've had to deal with a lot this season. He's bought really well. Um, and they've got a very nice, exciting look about them. And I did think they were unlucky in the Arsenal game. And they kept a very prolific Arsenal team, you know, to just scoring one goal. And, and it was a hell of a goal by Saka. You know, you think they did pretty much everything right there, apart from, well, not letting him shoot, but there's only so much you can really do. Um, having Bamford back I think will be massive for them they'll start to actually have a proper focal point in the team obviously they did really uh, well at the start of the season uh, and then Rodrigo got injured and I think that's when they started stuttering 
Um, and again, with the Fulham point of view, I think when Mitrovic got injured, is that that's when they started stuttering as well. So two teams that I think fully fit and on their day can definitely make it towards the sort of mid-table of the Premier League. Um, but obviously that's not what's happening at the moment because of their injuries. Leeds will always want to play on the front foot, especially uh, they're at home, aren't they? Yeah, yeah uh, Leeds yeah. are at home. Yeah, so all the, you know, at Ellen Road, just like we said, Goodness and Park, there'll be the expectation they play on the front foot. They try and get the first goal. They try and entertain the crowd. Um, I think I think they'll beat Fulham two one as well. I agree with you. Um, I think Mitrovic will always give them a bit of a threat, Fulham. Uh, and uh, like I said, Paulini and Pereira, I think I've been really interested. Uh, like I think they've been really good this season. Tossing Adarabio as well, very underrated. He's been so so good for them this season um, definitely I think it's the most dangerous Fulham team I've seen in a very very long time and they do look the real deal this season they, honestly they could stay up I know they were most people's favourites to go down uh, or one of one of the favourites to go down but I actually think they they have got a lot about them this season um, but yeah I think Leeds would just have a little bit too much for them and they'll want a big reaction after that Arsenal game you know you can imagine Marsh in the dressing room afterwards saying that was 1-0 but it shouldn't have been 1-0 we had a penalty create plenty of chances you know, we see that as a as a victory, and we we get momentum, and then we just pick off Fulham. So yeah, I, I'm I'm in agreement. I think two one could could be plenty of goals in that one, to be honest. But um, yeah, I think I think two one leads. One of the low key games I'm really interested to watch uh, this weekend. Um, and guys, if if you guys do want to watch and, and make sure that you're able to watch all of the games this weekend, um, because that Leeds versus Fulham game in the UK is not on TV. Um, I know there's a whole host of games on Sky. Well, two of the five games that are on Sunday, only two of them are on Sky. Uh, the rest aren't being shown. Well, link up with our presenting sponsors, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. You can get their services at libertyshield.com. You guys can also save with the coupon code EPL25. That gets you 25% off of your router or software vpn it's a virtual private network which is a technology that encrypts your internet traffic to protect your online identity hide your ip address and shield your online data from third parties you guys can change your location avoid geo blocks and government imposed restrictions to access any website also guys go check out epl index shop you can find it on etsy if you use the code epl10 you get 10 percent off at checkout Let's move on to a game you, as they call it in the business, teased a bit earlier on in the podcast, Southampton versus Arsenal. Um, I'm assuming you've gone with Southampton 3-0 win on this one? Uh, 4-0, actually, mate. <laughs> Chay Adams' masterclass, I think, will be incoming. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I, I do think Arsenal will win it, but I think they're starting to lose momentum at the moment. Uh, whether they're sort of feeling the pressure, I mean, look, you always say it as a as a player, oh, you know, we're just playing our game, but you'll hear it. You'll hear the, you know, Arsenal could win the league. They're seven points clear, and I think they almost wonder how they got there and how long they can stay there for, and that is a lot of pressure for players. I saw a post, um, I think it was by the Daily Mail or the Guardian, or even the Telegraph, actually, that said, can Arsenal do a Leicester, um, which was very shocking. I don't know wow. if you saw that, but, you know, not only does that downplay Leicester's achievement, but it also makes Arsenal seem as a club that not only has, you know, an impenetrable <laughs> yeah. record of the Invincibles in the Premier League, but has also spent close to 600 million across the last three or four seasons. So they're definitely not underdogs in that sort of sense. But, you know, City will inevitably catch them. And I think 
eventually Arsenal will run out of steam. They haven't really had that game yet where they've cocked up, have they? They've, they've been pretty good all season. They Every single small team they've had to beat, they've beaten. Southampton, for me, were my favourites to go down at the start of the season as one of the three. I still think they will go down. They're not looking very inspiring. I think, what was it a 1-0 victory? Yeah, a very shaky 1-0. Very shaky 1-0 victory against Bournemouth, who, you know, ship goals for fun. So, yeah, for me, I do think Arsenal will win, but it won't be the kind of game we were seeing early in the season where they just they pick off teams and they look really good. I think it's going to be like a like a 2-0 Arsenal. I don't back Southampton to score. Um, you know, may, maybe if uh, Walker Peters takes his throw in from the penalty box, because <laughs> apparently uh, he's just allowed to take it from as far as he wants. Yeah, um, clearly. Then they might be able to get some sort of opportunity. But no, for me, they're just no nowhere near the quality that you'd need. You know, at least in, in the old Southampton team, you had like a Danny Ings who was going to crop up with a goal and a half chance every now and then. They haven't got that. And they've bought exciting players from City and they're trying to utilise them. But the style of football that they play just doesn't really coincide with that. And Arsenal, you know, one thing you would say about them, they're well drilled. They all know their position. They know what they're doing. Gabriel, for me, is an absolute liability at the moment. Though I don't know how he's getting picked week in, week out. Someone that looks so solid the last couple of seasons is honestly... Ming's level, he's he's not, he's he's just, I don't know what, what's up with him at the moment, but he's making every single mistake possible. Uh, I'd be very surprised if he starts um, against Southampton. But yeah, I, I, it won't be one for the, uh, you know, obviously you plug the little VPN there, which uh, would be very useful to watching games that you can't normally see on TV. But I don't think that's one that is going to be used uh, this weekend. I can't imagine there'll be too many people rushing to find a stream for Arsenal, Southampton. And if you are trying to rush to sign on, I urge you not to. <laughs> they're, they're better games to watch. Um, yeah, look, I, to watch. I think Arsenal, as you've mentioned, they've beaten the teams that have been put in front of them, which is all you can really ask. Um, I don't think they've had the greatest level of difficulty in start to the season. And maybe that influenced my power rankings a bit in terms mm. of Arsenal players. I think their strength of schedule was really favourable um, to start the season. But yeah, I've gone with a 3-0 Arsenal win. I think comfortable win. Uh, they see them off. Gabriel needs to get back on the goal-scoring sheet. He hasn't done it for a while, and I, I think this is the perfect game for him. But um, speaking of lots of goals, we've gone from 3-0 and 2-0 in this one, and then we move to a Wolves versus Leicester game. Uh, are you predicting cup. many goals for this one? I mean, Wolves, look, unless it's a free kick or a long-distance shot coming in from one of their midfielders, one of their many midfielders that can take long shots. Um, I, I think it's going to be a bit of a slog for them, but they're playing Danny Ward and Leicester. So, I mean, if, if you've ever How wanted a you? chance, look, if you've ever Each- wanted a chance to, to, to get a goal, this is surely Diego Costa. Like if you wanted to circle a game, on the map and say, I need to get my goal, you know, my first goal back in the Premier League. This has to be the game for him. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to go with a nil-nil. I, 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 I'm just, um, you're not looking forward to Southampton Arsenal. I'm not looking forward to Wolves versus Leicester. Yeah, I mean, if we had an opposite of the top five power rankings, if we had the top <laughs> five worst rankings in the Premier League, I think we'd all be in agreement. There'd be no, you know, you'd definitely be getting that one right. You know, Ward would be number one on the list. He's been so, so poor this season. I actually put out a, a tweet the other day saying I think the, the top three worst ever goalkeepers in the Premier League is Claudio Bravo, Roberto and Danny Ward. Um, <laughs> I cannot under, 
I mean, you've got Iverson on the bench. I mean, he must be worth it. What, what does he do in training? Does he just sort of stand there? Like, <laughs> is he like Scott Sterling just stood on the seat on the goal line? Like, I can't understand what he's doing in training. I mean, if you're losing out week in, week out to Danny Ward, I think you need to seriously question your goalkeeping ability, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, there won't be many goals this game. It's not the same Leicester you've seen over the years. They haven't got that Jamie Vardy up top who they're going to go through. And it's the same with Leicester. Unless they have uh, a, a James Madison freak goal or a, or a set piece, you don't really back them to score. Um, I never like predicting nil-nils. I, I never do. I felt um, sick doing it myself. Yeah, I never like to... Because it's the Premier League. There's going to be a goal somewhere. But, um, you know, Wool, I mean, Wool, I think Wolves cropped up with quite a few chances against, pa- against Palace, to be fair. Um, and I do think Leicester, with, with the likes of James Madison, can always conjure up a chance. So... I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. Do you think both goals will be free kicks? Uh, I I think the Madison goal will be a free kick and I think that the Wolves goal will be from open play. I think uh, Bueno is very good, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he had a very good game against Palace. I think them being able to utilise the wings, which is something that Leicester won't be able to cope with too much means that the odd ball that goes into the box may meet a Diego Costa head or a Dharma Traore head. Um, and, you know, Ruben Neves as well from open play, I think, is always a, a threat. It's the type of game where I think both teams will try and camp in their own boxes. And I think both, I mean, realistically, it could be, we talk about Gerrard, it could be, you know, Rogers' last game in charge. Yeah. Bottom of the Premier League at the moment. There's got to be other options out there for him. I mean, do you, do you think the Leicester should be sacking Rogers? I think they should have sacked him a couple of games ago because of the favourable fixture list that's coming up. Mm. You want your new manager to come in and have a few easier games to play. And when I when I looked at that Leicester schedule sort of coming off of that international break, I thought, you know, Crystal Palace, they were playing, they were playing Bournemouth, who at the time we didn't know were going to be a revived Bournemouth. Um and then they, they had obviously the Nottingham Forest game, which they did then go and win 4-0. But if a manager comes in and he's got Nottingham Forest, then Bournemouth, Crystal Palace, and then Leeds, who are tumbling down the table, and then Wolves, I think that would have been a nice way for a manager to ease themselves in. You've kind of wasted those games now. So I don't know when the next batch of easy well, I games... Suppose- I suppose from a point of view, if you want Rodgers to stay in, it's a perfect batch of games to then, you know, Revive it. Re- yeah. re-establish his sort of, you know, it's the same with David Moyes. He had a very, very favourable run of fixtures, uh, and, and he still does, to be fair. Of a, He had Wolves, Fulham and Bournemouth. Uh, obviously, you skip Liverpool a little bit. Um, but, you know, that that's the perfect time for people to kind of, you know, because the football world is reactionary, isn't it? And, and as much as you try not to be, it is. So, you know, Rodgers will win one game and then everyone forgets how many games he's lost in the past and then he'll lose a couple more and they're thinking he should get sacked. Often one game in football can honestly give you at least three or four more. Yeah. But I think if he, I honestly think if he doesn't win tonight, surely he's got to go. I mean, I, feel, I do feel for him because he wasn't backed in the transfer market. I can't imagine he was sitting there going, right, guys, we're going to sell Schmeichel, uh, <laughs> best goalkeeper for a while. We've got this cracking lad called Danny Ward who, um, you know, I mean, he must have been putting out 10 out of 10 performances in pre-season. My God. He must be a great, um, great trainer. You know, you get players oh, that are terrible in training. Like I remember when Christian Eriksen came to Tottenham, the reason he ended up at Tottenham was a lot of the clubs he was offered to got training reports and 
it was said he wasn't really good in training or didn't apply himself as much in training and that put him off a lot of clubs maybe ward is the opposite maybe he's fantastic in training Mate, I think I think him and Jermaine Genus share the same agent, is all I'm going to say. Because I have no idea how he's managed to get to where he is. He's a Premier League footballer, for Christ's sake. I mean, you know, he inspires nations and, you know, players all over the world that you actually might be able to make it as a Premier League footballer. Um, you know, they, they lost Fafana as well. Honestly, yeah. probably going to be one of the best generational talents in terms of the centre-back alongside Saliba. Um, and with all that money, they didn't do much with it. I mean, they almost lost Madison as well. Very surprised they didn't. I think if they did, they'd be in a lot of trouble. The only issue is, you know, if you get rid of Rogers, who do you bring in? You know, yeah. uh, would Poch come to Leicester? I'm not sure. I mean, I know Wolves are looking at Michael Beale of QPR, but that's quite risky as it is, just because he's had a good start with QPR so far. Um, so I think maybe knowing the lesser of two evils is better sometimes than staying with Rogers, but. I don't know. I think if you lose today, you're what, what, three points, two points off, you know, returning to safety. You've got to get the caretaker manager in and, and prepare him for a game like this where he, he should be getting a win. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I do feel for Rogers, but yeah, I mean, this one, it's, it's got a draw written all over it, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, fair enough. Look, let's move on to. Um, a game that's probably one of the games that will be really interesting this this weekend. More so, um, more so from a Spurs need to react because that performance, as you mentioned earlier, was was shockingly bad. Um, they didn't really get going uh, from an offensive side of things, and then they're playing a Newcastle side who have only lost one game this season, if I'm not mistaken. And have looked impressive in the big games, uh, especially obviously the one that jumps out is that game against Man City, where they sh- they they probably are thinking they they've won that game. Um, so yeah, Spurs they're at home. They've just had a poor performance against a big team. They've lost. They need to react in this game um, against the Newcastle side, who is not going to make it easy for them. I dare I say. <laughs> It, it's Kane or bust in this game for me because he needs to vindicate me putting him. You know what? Kane, Kane, listen, turn up the volume. Okay. Just turn up the volume and, and listen to my voice. Look, I've gone out to bat for you this week. All right. I've put you in my top five list, my predictable power five, top five rankings of Premier League players. I think you've been hard done by this season. I think people are not appreciating you. I know Haaland's in the league now. He gets all the headlines. But Kane, I've put you number five for a reason. Go and show the Riley Finches of the world that you are one of the most underrated players this season. Go and win this game for for Spurs. Because you know what? If you don't, the guy that's consensus top five player in the league, Bruno Gamarej, is just going to destroy your entirety. He could run this game on his own, by the way. Mm. Um, which will be very interesting. I'm interested to see that midfield battle and how he handles himself against the Spurs midfielders. But Harry Kane, I'm, I'm, you know what? You know what? I'm, I'm going to do it. You're not going to say it. I'm going to do it. A 2-0 Spurs win. No, 2-1. 2-1. Whoa, not 2-0. Whoa, 2-1 Spurs win. And I'm going with a Harry Kane brace. Of course It has will. to happen. It has it's, to happen. It's an own goal on a red card waiting to happen for you, mate. I mean, after that, <laughs> that brave heart speech, you know, he's got tears in his eyes. 
uh, obviously Come can't on, see it. He's got tears in his eyes, and we just we all know that he you know after that rousing speech, he's going to get a red card on an own goal <laughs> the weekend. You just know it's going to happen. But I'm actually I'm going for a different flavour, mate. I'm going for two one Newcastle. Ooh. I think you're going you're to see a reaction from Spurs, but Newcastle are so well drilled, and they yeah. just they know what they're about. And Almiron, I think, is very underrated in the league. He needs to get a bit of respect in his name. It's a big shame that Isaac's uh, injured for them. But Callum Wilson, he's also a bit of a goal threat. Um, and I think that, that midfield three is just so solid. You know, you've got the perfect balance in there. And like you say, Gimaresh is honestly like having another midfielder. Um, without Richarlison as well, you know, you, you will, Conte's not the type of manager where he's going to be reactionary. He's not going to, you know, just because it didn't work against Man United does not mean he's just going to say, well, I'm going to the next formation. Um, why he chose Jed Spence uh, not to play over Doherty was weird. I don't know why he did that. Again, why he didn't go Lucas Moore in a front three, just sort of using the same formation is very strange. Um, or even maybe potentially trying to play a 10 in there. I'm not sure who they'd really get for that position. Um, but I think because of the injuries that Tottenham have at the moment, I don't. I just don't think they're going to win this one. I think Newcastle are going to edge it. And I think Newcastle do tend to turn up not only against the big sides, but also against Tottenham. I think they are kind of one of Tottenham's bogey teams in my books. Um, yeah, I think we're going to be seeing a, a Callum Wilson masterclass, mate. Interesting stuff. So we've gone head-to-head on that one. So it's definitely one that I'm going to be glued to and interested to watch. But let's end off on a high here. Um, West Ham versus Bournemouth. This is a game that there, there's no excuses, in my opinion, for West Ham in this game in terms of let's get a result on the board. I don't care if it's pretty or not. We just need to get a win in this one. And we've seen Bournemouth have sort of had a bit of a revival of late and they've shown they're dangerous. I think that fast, big, strong forward that sort of we saw with Nunes, we're going to see a similar type performance from Solanke. I think he's going to look to get as many shots off as he can and try and study that game that Nunes had against West Ham and see where he was successful, where he wasn't and try and because on paper he's got those those attributes. Um so he could try and use them. But for me, I think the focus in this game, it's West Ham at home looking for a reaction. Probably would have felt really unlucky come the end of that game, especially when it was still one nil. They would have fancied their chances to get a, a draw in that Liverpool game and they need to just make things right in this game against Bournemouth and, and get that win. What do you reckon? Well, it's a difficult one. You, know, you try and take off your West Ham tinted glasses um, when you're doing these sort of predictions, but we're just so poor in the first half. We've had a better first half in every single Premier League game we've had. More goals, less goals conceded, more XG. Um, our XG is actually one of the best in the league. Our conversion rate you know, is awful at the moment which is surprising because we brought in such prominent attacking talent. Unfortunately, Paqueta is injured for this game. Only two-week injury, I do believe. Um, and we've got quite a few injuries at the back, and that is where we look most susceptible. I don't back us to get a clean sheet ever, and I don't think this will be a pretty performance. I think we will concede the first goal, as we always do, and I think we're going to come back into the game second half. Um, at the moment, Moyes seems to set up for us to fail and then second half he makes the changes that <laughs> we all know should be happening we all know Ben Rama should be starting we all know Suchek should be nowhere near the first 11 you know we all know that you know Downs would probably be a lot better in midfield we all know Kerr is a better right back than Sue Fowl and, and, and Johnson should be playing centre back but 
for some reason, Moyes just decides, you know, he's going to set us up to fail. And then 60 minutes in, he's just going to chuck on the players he probably should have started with in the first place. And then, then we, you know, lo and behold, we end up playing a little bit better. But you've got to give Bournemouth a little bit of credit for the way they've played. I think prior to their loss, they were the only team since O'Neill was taken charge that went unbeaten uh, since he took charge. So the reaction that they've had from him, I think it will fizzle out eventually. Um, whether he'll be the sort of, I call it the caretaker's curse. It seems like, well, while you're the caretaker, you're you're amazing. And then as soon as you get that job um, as a full-time manager, whatever happens just fizzles out, whether it's because players think they need to perform for a new manager or whether they think that if a new manager's watching from afar, that they'll come in and say, you're starting. I'm not sure what it is. Um, I think at the start of the season, I would have said, this is a guaranteed three points, 3-0, West Ham, whatever. I don't think it's as in the in the bank as it as it would be because of the fact that you've got this resurgence and also we don't we don't really deal well with eights that arrive late in the box like Philip Billing. We also don't really do well with big physical strikers as we saw from Nunes. Um we used to and we used to be really good from set pieces as well, but um since sort of Craig Dawson hasn't played recently and since Suchek's just been incredibly poor, um players like Philip Billing and Solanke are just really good. So I think we need to set up the game and just attack, attack, attack. You know, you, you, you've got that Bournemouth defence, which is just potential for opening up the floodgates. Uh, you, you're going to, I think Moy should be setting up the game thinking he's going to concede the first goal. You know, you should say, we've already conceded the first goal. What would we do if we had conceded the first goal? We'll go, well, that's how we start. That's how we start on the front foot in a West Ham packed stadium. So I'm going 2-1 West Ham. I think it's going to be pretty. I think we will concede the first goal as we normally do, probably early on. Um, but I do, I do think we'll get a result in the end because surely you just you can't surely you can't perform that way against Liverpool and then just lose to Bournemouth or even draw against Bournemouth. I think we've proved it against Fulham. We didn't prove it quite against Southampton, but you know I think we we did deserve more than a point in that game. Um, and I think we will get the three points against Bournemouth. Yeah, look, I've got the same score written down here, two one. Um, to West Ham, I do think you guys will have more firepower when the benches are required, and that's going to see you guys over the line. Um, but Riley, that's going to do it for another episode of A Tad Predictable. Probably a more spicy episode of A Tad Predictable. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm sure the the A Tad Predictable Twitter account will put up both of our power rankings, and we'll see which one gets the, the higher vote. I, I I've been told that's what's going to happen by Guy. I don't know if I'm quite happy about that. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to be a lot of haters looking to, to shut me down with my, with my Kepa shout and my Harry Kane redemption story. That's going to, that's going to kill you're a man of morals. You're a man of morals, Tad. You've got to, you've got to back yourself and it's not the worst shout in the world. Um, but it is, it's not the best. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, guys, from my end, um, Go and check out all of the content on EPL Index website. There are match previews, post-match performances. Um, also, there's the Two-Footed podcast, which happens day- daily during the week with Dave Hendrick. Also, there's the flagship show that runs weekly. It's the EPL roundtable where Kev DeVee sits down with panelists from respective EPL teams. It's reviewings and previewings of the happening- happenings around the league. I think I'm on that show either this weekend or next weekend if I'm not mistaken. Uh, as I said, go follow at a tad predictable on Twitter. Go follow at EPR Index on Twitter. Subscribe to EPR Index 
podcast channel on your podcast providers give us five stars write positive comments all of that stuff really helps riley do you have anything you want to plug put over or promote before we wrap up well you know when i'm not gracing your podcast mate <laughs> i do tend to create uh, west end themed uh, youtube videos on the west end way youtube channel and i've also got my own personal youtube channel called riley finch where you know just generic youtube videos and of course at finchy riley on twitter uh, mm-hmm. if you want to come at me with my power five ranking <laughs> or if you want to tell me how uh, educated i am in the power five rankings which i doubt is going to be the case but um yeah that's all on my end mate awesome stuff guys i've been to the ocean Akira. you can find me on twitter at tad predicts huge thank you to obi semenya he's at john empire sa and jody mckenna she's at spursy one for one for our guest intros our producer behind the glass mr guy drinkle he's at guy drinkle on twitter he's been riley finch at finchy riley and remember, Chisinga Perry, Chino Shura. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a go and still a beauty. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. De Bruyne. And it's Wood. Martinelli, gorgeous. Still going up. Oh, he's done it again. Podcast Network.